Church, Charlotte. All right, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, all right. We we had another uh, sound technical difficulty there. It says the host turned off everybody's microphone. Yeah, I did, accidentally. (laughs) That was me singing along with Nate. Yeah, you were doing a good job, brother. All right, so um, I want to thank you all for joining with us here. We've got a good crowd. I am going to uh, now make the changes I accidentally made earlier. Uh, So that will be sharing screens and turning off microphones. And so I'm going to do that now. And we should be here. Now I'm going to share uh, my notes with you. And you will be able to, you'll be able to, uh, uh, follow me with your notes. Let me get to the right. Uh, it's not that. One more time. It is a tab. That's what I'm looking for. Well, it's not a tab either. Believe it or not, I actually have these notes uh, ready to go. They're just not showing up here. Um, let's try that again. Here we go. All right, now your notes should be coming up here, and we're going to start with this. Uh, Before I dive in any further, I want to thank you all for your time. I will respect your time. Uh, If you have any questions, you'll be able to type while I speak into the, um, the text. And I want to, first of all, say this to you. We are all of us people striving to live lives of faith. We are all of us striving to, in our own way, make a difference in the world in which we live. And I want to greet you all today, not just as people in a a meeting room, but I want to greet you all as children of God. And I want to challenge all of you to see how God can use your gifts, your talents, your ability to make a difference in his kingdom. My my subject for the next little while is uh, this, invest yourself. I want to see every one of you who will, to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. You have to believe you have something to offer. You have to believe that God's giftings give you a sense of duty and opportunity to make a difference in your world, your society. And so we are going to look at that as a theme, and I'm going to challenge all of you to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. Let's start by asking ourselves this in question, this question, how do we um, invest ourselves in in the kingdom of God? Uh, All of us should take this seriously. Um, If we were given the responsibility for any, a large sum of money or any organization or institution, most of us would take it quite seriously. We would meet with experts. Um, if it was money, you would try to find a financial manager. If it was uh, legal, you would get an attorney. You would take it seriously. Um, you would want to invest wisely. But oftentimes in our individual lives, uh, we are much less intentional about investing in the kingdom of God. Uh, we tend to Uh, low rate ourselves. We tend to assume that, well, what can little old me do? And as a result, it's not that we do nothing. It's just that we do nothing that takes big faith. (laughs) Let me say that again. If you don't act intentionally, it's not that you won't do anything in the kingdom of God. It's that you won't do anything that requires big faith. 
if you try to exercise your faith and you say, I want to make a difference. And again, let me speak to you. You are called to believe. You are called to exercise your faith, invest your abilities and talents, and believe that you can move the needle of the kingdom of God in your world. Uh, because we don't take it seriously, it's not that we do nothing. It's just we don't take very big chances and we don't do anything that requires uh, big faith, if you'll allow me to say it that way. I want to remind you that because you are unique, um, because God has explicitly gifted you differently than me, uh, you have to live with a sense of stewardship of God's kingdom. You have to believe uh, there is a place where you can invest your time, your personality, your prayer. Uh, it is the will of God. Uh, for us to grow into our potential, to embrace other believers, and to live a life of worship before the Lord. Now, we all know that we can reject God's plan for our life. We can live selfishly. Uh, we can live a life of distraction. We can live a life where we don't take seriously the call of God to make a difference, to teach, to pray, to edify, to exalt. We can be pretty flip about our individual Christianity. And the result of that, I, I, I want to be honest, the, 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 the result of that is we treat God as an insurance plan. Um, we want to make sure we're saved, but beyond our own self-interest, we are not moved. We are not motivated because um, we see uh, the work of God as a self-save, self-serve program. Uh, that is the shallow end of the pool. Yes, God saves us. Yes, God makes all things new. Yes, yes. And again, I say yes, but that's just the beginning that's the beginning. The purpose is to include you, yes. However great you think you are or however lowly you think you are, it's the will of God to include you uh, in the kingdom of God. Therefore, you grow. Therefore, you embrace other believers and become a living body of Christ. And you live a life that doesn't feel like, a du like duty. It doesn't feel like obligation. It feels like worship before the Lord. Even when someone's done you wrong and you have to forgive them, it still feels like worship because after all, God has done so much for us. How could we not forgive? We are called to grow. We are called to include others, embrace others, and live a life of worship before the Lord. The flip side of that is if we can live a life where we, we reject God's plan for our life. Uh, we live in a lazy manner. We live in a self-serve manner. And the warning signs of that kind of life is not that we're particularly evil. <laughs> it's not. It's not as though, you know, the FBI is going to start investigating you. That's not the risk. The risk is that we live by the same values as our unchurched, unbelieving neighbors. Do you see? By their standards, you're still just a good old guy, a good old gal. But you've missed your potential in the kingdom of God. You're not especially evil. You're not especially criminal. It's just you've settled for a minimum viable walk with God when he's called you to move mountains. And he's called you to speak to the mountains in your life and say, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I speak the name of Jesus over you. And I believe there will be a way made in spite of the obstacles. The risks of us living like our unbelieving, unchurched neighbors is that our motivation is the same as theirs. 
We may have a Christian label, but we have no testimony. Our values are the same as theirs. We may go to church, but we have no testimony. Our values, our words, our life, how we deal with crisis, how we face uncertainty, it is all a testimony that we are really not of this world. Do you see? We are trying to live by the values, the purposes, and the calling of another kingdom. So what are the warning signs when so-called Christians really are just living by the same values as unchurched, unbelieving uh, neighbors, friends, and coworkers. Well, we lust over the same thing they lust over. We lust over wealth. We lust over power. We lust over fame. We lust over us, the best version of us at the top, everyone else being dominated by us. There's no testimony in that. If you just want to be richer than everybody, I mean, I mean, I hope it works out for you, but there's no testimony in that. Uh, If you just want to be more famous than everybody, I mean, I hope your Twitter account does great, but there's no testimony. Do you see? That's what everybody's doing. Church people, real believers, we have to have a different set of values upon which we build the structure of our lives. And if we're just lusting for wealth, power, fame, like everybody else, there is no testimony. The second warning sign is we see other people as peons or nobodies, um, or we see them as competitors, or we see them as enemies. There's only three categories of other people, our enemies, our competitors, and the people who don't matter. That's a sign that we're just like the heathen, Jesus says. There's no testimony in the fact that we are unwilling to embrace imperfect people and receive them in spite of their imperfection in a community of acceptance and positive Christian growth and affirmation. We don't tell them everything's okay when everything's not okay, but neither do we try to do through force what God said only can be done through love. Neither do we try to force the kingdom of heaven by power when it was meant to be advanced by love. Um, So we cannot have the testimony of the kingdom of God and have this kind of dismissive sneering approach to other people. Jesus said, look, if you have your heart changed about how you view other people, if you really love them and care for other people, then will all men know you are my disciples. Why? Because that's a real testimony. It's easy just to be disgusted by other people, just to be judgmental of other people, to have an in-group of people who you judge them by what they meant to do and an out-group of people who you judge them by what it looks like they did. And so you create an inherent, unfair, divisive world. Um, There's no testimony in that. Uh, The third warning sign that we are label Christians, but not living by um, the values, the calling, the mission of the kingdom of God is that when we primarily believe, we live as though we believe our life is about entertainment, experiences, and preeminence. This is the same thing that every unchurched, unbelieving person lives by. If we are not changed by the promises of the kingdom of God, it's not that we quit going to church. (laughs) It's that we are now labeled Christians, but in the nitty gritty of our life, we lust just like other people. And we wish just like other people. And we fear just like 
other people. And we are, you know, we dislike people and are impatient with people and judgmental with people, just like other people. Um, that is the real hard elements of Christianity, not the label. The label's actually the easiest part. The hard part is the turning away from self. The best possible world is not simply me, me being the richest, most powerful person. That's not the best possible world. I'm not to be trusted. The best possible world is a world in which Christ reigns. It's a different way of living. If we are not investing in the kingdom of God, it may be because our value systems are not motivating us. If we're not investing in the kingdom of God, it may be, it may be that I am not being motivated by my value systems. What I have is a label, but not a system of belief, a system of values, a system of spiritual foundations. A label will not get you to invest in the kingdom of God. Um, it helps. Um, going to church helps, but it will not get you to invest in the kingdom of God. You have to be moved with compassion. You have to be stirred. You have to be challenged. You have to say, my purpose is to grow up into my God-ordained potential to embrace other people in that mission and in that edification and in that process and to live a life of worship before the Lord. When you get, when I get, let me just make it, let me aim at myself and hit you by accident. When I get my value systems godly, when I get my heart righteous, I begin to be motivated by different values than the unchurched, unbelieving people around me. And no more is it just a fantasy of me on top with the best of everything, my best possible life. No, I see through that lie and I see there's a better me in Christ than is ever been found or fashioned in my lust. So three warning signs. We lust for wealth, power, fame, like everyone else. We see other people as enemies or competitors or nobodies. Uh, and we believe our life is primarily about entertainment experiences and the preeminence of ourself. Those are warning signs. So we cannot, as I said, invest ourselves in the kingdom of God with those values. It won't make sense. When the church asks you to give of your time, you'll just roll your eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> when you are in a situation where you could pray for someone, you'll assume they don't want you to because you put yourself in their shoes and you wouldn't want you to. Uh, the kingdom of God is the challenge, the daily turn away from the lusts and fears of self to the faith and mission of the kingdom of God. And it is not natural. And this is what it feels like to crucify our flesh. This is what it feels like for us to say, I'm going to live a Christian life. I am going to see the kingdom of God. I am going to see the people that God loves, not the sin God hates. I'm going to see the people. I'm not going to get the sin and the people mixed up because God loves the people enough that he paid the debt of their sins, you see. In fact, in order for me to be motivated to invest in the kingdom of God, I have to lay aside my earthly fear-based, lust-based values, and I have to pray the Lord would open my eyes to perceive the kingdom of God. You see, if you don't even see it, it's hard to develop any passion for it. 
it's hard to develop any affection for it <laughs> if you don't see it. So like the Lord prayed, uh, open his eyes. You know, I pray for myself and all of us, open our eyes, Lord. When we're free from the values of self, Yes, it's easy to uh, talk about sin, but sin's just the beginning of the matter. A lot of our lusts are about self, about exaltation of self, about promotion of self, pride, vanity, preeminence. You understand what I'm saying? We turn away from that. Everybody understands that. Unbelievers, unchurched, they all get that. No testimony there. But when we begin to value the kingdom of God, we perceive a kingdom where all this mess is fixed. This new world where violence is not the answer. This new world where the leaves of the trees are the healing of the nations, do you see? And you begin to crave that. Now it's natural for you to be motivated to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. So just to repeat myself, if you're serving God as duty, you'll have no motivation to invest yourself. God will be an insurance policy for you. If you serve the Lord in fear, you'll have no motivation to invest yourself. You'll use church as fire insurance. And the only thing that will make sense if you're serving in an obligation and fear is to spend most of your time isolating yourself, perfecting yourself, and protecting people near you from all possible versions of the real world. Because at the end of the day, you think, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse. Let me move on. Uh, I'm going to read a, a fairly long passage because I want to show you the difference between the values of the world. And I want to show you the kingdom of heaven. And I want to do it by telling you a story or reading a story from the life of Jesus. Luke chapter number 12, uh, we're going to read in the NIV just because it's what I had uh, on my computer at that moment. Uh, we'll start at verse number one. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands, big crowd, had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Why are they trampling on one another? They're trying to get close. Jesus is teaching his disciples. The people are getting close. And he warns his disciples, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypoc uh, hypocrisy. Um, if you read the Gospels, it'll be easy to get tired of reading about the Pharisees because they are always the Antichrist. It's not the sinner that is presented in the Gospels as the Antichrist. I'm not talking about the man future personification in prophecy. I'm talking about the opposite of the Jesus way is not the sinner. The opposite of the Jesus way is the Pharisee where I save myself. Uh, God's not the hero of the story. I'm the hero of the story. So you can't get into the gospels about reading about the Pharisees a lot. Remember, they are the opposite of the Jesus way. Read the whole, the whole Sermon on the Mount. The opposite is the way of the Pharisees. Jesus doesn't say saints and sinners. He says, my way, Pharisees. When you pray, don't do it like the Pharisees. Anyway, but guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. You see how pride is our enemy? It makes liars of us. We pretend we're better than we actually are. 
verse three, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. Jesus is drawing a distinction here between the world of the spiritual and the world of the physical. We have to value the world of the spiritual more than the world of the spirit of the physical. We have to fear and value and elevate spiritual over carnal. This is exactly what Paul demonstrates and testifies of when he says, look, if I live, that's, that's Christ. If I die, that's even better. That's gain. I'll be with Christ. Uh, verse number five, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Yet, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. He's talking about worrying about physical things and trusting God, valuing the kingdom of God more than the fears, the lusts of the flesh, all right? Now we're at verse number, uh, uh, the second half of seven. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son of man will also acknowledge him before the angel of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Don't be afraid of him who can destroy your body. It's all the same thing. You should, though you live short or long, you should call upon the name of Jesus. Do you see? Though your life is long and fruitful or short and perilous, you should call upon the name of the Lord. Verse number 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Deep waters, let's keep going. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not do not worry about how you defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, notice this next verse, verse number 13. This is a huge subject change, a huge subject change. There's someone in the crowd. What has Jesus been talking about? The kingdom of heaven, living a life of the kingdom of heaven, focusing on things that are eternal, focusing on eternal life. Don't be, don't live in the physical. Don't be limited by the fears and lusts, um, the desires of preeminence of the physical. And someone in the crowd can listen to all that and still not get it. They still can't get it. They say, verse number 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to, in, to divide the inheritance with me. Now, have you ever been in a conversation and then somebody just at a random comes in and you don't even know where it came from. It's absolutely random. If this hasn't happened to you, spend some time with teenagers. <laughs> um, teenagers will come at a completely, you're like, where did that even come from? Imagine Jesus is talking about emphasizing the kingdom of God, focusing on the eternal. And there's someone that says, hey, uh, good master, good teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Verse 15. Then he said to them, he's going to include this man in his teaching lesson. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. Jesus doesn't rebuke as much as he tells you a story that if you want to get it, you can. And if you don't want to get it, 
you can walk away. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. Mm, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. A couple things I want to point out real quick here. Um, the first thing I want to say um, is he does not condemn good stewardship. Jesus is not condemning good stewardship. He is not saying there was a rich man and because he was rich, he was evil. He's not condemning the wealth of the man. He's condemning the greed of the man. That attitude and that spirit where you never have enough and you look to your possessions to make you whole. That is the greed that is motivating you. Uh, here you are trying to reassure your soul with something that your soul cannot spend. Your soul is fed something different than possessions. It can only be fed things like peace with God, uh, hope in eternity. Uh, and then he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. He's not against stewardship. In fact, multiple other places, Jesus will teach good stewardship. He'll tell other parables like if you're going to build a tower, it might be good for, the, for you to figure out how much it's going to cost and save up some money to get your house in order. He's not against stewardship. He's against the idea that things can feed your soul or possessions can make you rich toward God. Read it. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The point is not to live our life as though you don't need money to pay the rent. You do need money to pay the rent. The point is not that your work has no importance. Your work is part of God's creative gift to you. It's the will of God. I've, pre I've preached about it recently. I'll touch on it again in the future. Um, for you to find meaningful work, it is from the beginning in the book of Genesis we were created to work. Work wasn't given after we had fallen in sin. Work was given before the fall. Work is part of your meaning. You ought to be good at what you do. You ought to, if you're a, if you're a healthcare worker, you ought to know your stuff cold. You ought to be good. If you work in business, you ought to know your niche well. You ought to be a testimony of the gifts and investments God has made in you. But if you think that is the same thing as being rich toward God, what you've done is you've taken one part of your construction, this life you live, and you've applied it to another part, the spiritual, and one cannot be fed by the other. We live in two different worlds, but one of them is short-term. 
one of them is forever. They both are important and they are both paths to meaning. You cannot spend all your time caught up in the seventh heaven having religious chill bumps. You were created to do things, to accomplish things, to learn things. You were created even before the fall to have responsibilities, to care for a place where God has put you, to have work and meaning, but that's just one part of you. You need to have a hunger in your heart toward spiritual things. You need to be rich toward God. Just as we rightly divide the word of God, in other words, we put things that go together together. We don't try to read poetry and say it is prophecy. We don't try to read history and say it's the plan of salvation. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We rightly divide the word of God. We put things that go together together, and then we fulfill the biblical teaching in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. Do you see? In the same manner, we organize our souls. We organize our minds. Yes, we have work to do, but we can never think that's going to feed our soul. And if we do, we will be beset by the lusts of the flesh and not be motivated to turn away from this world. And we'll think happiness is on the other side of the next promotion or on the other side of the next business opportunity. We must be motivated to invest ourselves in the kingdom of God. And that's not going to happen through duty or fear. It's going to happen when our values begin to change and we begin to perceive and be motivated by the kingdom of God. As soon as my values reflect the kingdom of God, it will be natural for me to invest myself in the kingdom of God. But as long as my values are about me getting what I need, me being blessed, I will not see any purpose to serve anyone else because I am the hero in my story and I want the hero to win. God save us from that kind of self-centered, self-serving, so-called Christianity, which is actually the opposite of what Jesus really represents, where he lays his life down for others. His life for others. And he says, you do the same. Now the kingdom of God begins to come into view. How do I have by giving? How am I blessed by blessing? How am I encouraged by encouraging? And when you begin to live that way, you'll understand that real happiness, real meaning is not in having, but it is in giving. And you'll begin to live out the teaching of Jesus. It's better to give than it is to receive. It's better for you, all of you, the inner man, the inner woman, the psychological you, it's healthier, it's stronger, it's better all around. We have to perceive the kingdom of God. We have to let the Holy Ghost begin to change our values. And then there's no struggle to invest ourselves in the kingdom of God. It is natural to invest ourselves in the kingdom of God. Um, I have thought as you guys know, and our pastoral team has thought and prayed, and we work pretty hard to help people find their gifts and connect them with serving opportunities, connect them with giving opportunities. Um, I want to just, rather than going through all of that again, I actually thought about doing that again, but rather than doing that, I wanted to uh, show you in the 
story that we read together, I want to show you the four mistakes that that rich fool made. And then I want to, having uh, given you those four mistakes, I want to make sure I'm not committing them and you're not committing them. And the first step is to know what they are. So number one, here's the first of the four mistakes that the rich man made. Number one, he thought he was the owner of his stuff when he was just a steward of his stuff. We are just stewards of our stuff. None of it's going to last. Does that make sense? He thought he was the owner of his stuff when he was just a steward of his stuff. You and I are just stewards of our stuff. And looking at it that way, it gets much easier to be one who gives because we always perceived it as God's. And we always perceive the reason why we have it now is because God's been good to us. And having a thankful heart, we find it super easy. It's much, much easier uh, to include, to be generous. Let's not make the first mistake of the rich fool and think we're the owner of our stuff when we are just the steward of our stuff. As long as we think we're the owner, we're going to hold back on investing in the kingdom of God. Number two, uh, he focused all his attention on the present because he thought he knew how much time he had. He forgot about eternity. He thought his who he was was primarily invested in the now. He was somehow now. He was not a spirit who would live through time. If he would have understood that he's a spirit who will live through time, if he would have focused on eternity, uh, it would have helped him to see that I have more than enough. So thinking in terms of eternity, how can I bless others? The moment I stop thinking in terms of the present and the here and now, and I begin thinking in terms of eternity, it becomes natural for me to invest myself in the kingdom of God. Number three, he was concerned about the physical and he forgot about the spiritual. Uh, this is the folly of all flesh. We forget that the bigger part of ourselves is not the body that is aging and passing away. The larger part of ourselves is the spirit that God breathed into us. This shell of a body is passing away but the spirit God has breathed into us will be returned to him and we will forever be with him. And finally, number four, and this is big, he treasured stuff more than people. The result is isolation. He treasured stuff more than people. Whenever I value stuff more than people, I'm always isolated. I'm always separated. And I'm always limited in my ability to make a difference in the kingdom of God. And so four things, we've stated them negatively. Let's now state them positively. You are a steward of the Lord. And God has invested in you. And you need to believe it. You need to tell yourself that every day. I have something I can do. I have prayers I can pray. I have words I can say. You need to be a voice of affirmation to tell yourself, I can make a difference. I am a steward of the Lord. He has left me with certain talents, abilities. I may not can do what everyone else can do or what someone else can do, but I'm a steward and I'm excited to invest for God. 
you're a manager, a talent manager for the Lord. Tell yourself that. Believe you can make a difference. Believe your prayers can move the needle. Number two, live for eternity. This body is going downhill and not up. (laughs) It just feels like it's going uphill. (laughs) Uh, Let's live for eternity. Let's be people of spirit, not just flesh. It's natural to be a person of the flesh. You have to choose to be a person of the spirit. Let's embrace the spiritual call of God in our life. Number three, because the spiritual matters more than the physical. What you can do in the physical is very limiting. You only have so much time, so much strength, so much money. But in the spiritual, if you will take hold of the horns of the altar, speaking metaphorically, if you will believe believe you are a steward, you are anointed, you are called, if you will believe it, if you will tell yourself that as a statement of affirmation, you'll notice the first thing you'll be able to do is begin to see the kingdom of God. And if you aren't seeing it, it's no wonder you're not being motivated. You're not being moved. It's not touching you. Spiritual things matter. They matter more than physical things. Uh, The physical matters in our testimony. The physical matters in uh, people's uh, physical needs. We can't tell them to be, you know, warmed and filled uh, if they're starving and cold. I think James pointed that out in a very clear manner. But the point I'm trying to make is as spiritual people, we have to understand the physical, but we have to deeply value uh, the spiritual. And then finally, you live your life telling yourself every day, people matter. Embrace them. They will be imperfect. They may be more or less perfect than you. Embrace them. People will disappoint you. It is the way. People will hurt you. It is the way. Pick up your cross. We tell our leaders, uh, our pastor team tells ourselves all the time uh, to embrace people that we do not approve of because carrying the cross is our spiritual path. It is doing it right. And you, most of you have heard my personal testimony about how um, I, I began at one time of my life, I had begun to uh, get really, really comfortable um, kind of hiding my heart from people as a pastor. I would, I would get people that kind of came a few services, I'd get excited, then they disappear. You call them, they send you to a text mail, a voicemail, they ignore your texts. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about that is if you try to help people at all, that will be a common occurrence. And there's a tendency for us to begin to callous ourselves and begin to not do it. And one day the spirit of the Lord checked me. It happened through a series of divine connections that I made in my ministry. Um, but it came down to this. You do not guard your heart from people. You might guard your family from people. There are people that you should you should perhaps be a good steward. You might guard your finances from people, <laughs> but don't guard your heart from people. Um, not the exception would be you should not put yourself where you're just made spiritually worthless because you're broken, but you should be strong enough and you should pray your pray. God help me to love people and help me to love them strong, not love them weak. Loving people weak is when they reject me. I go into two months of depression. That's loving them weak. I've got to love them strong. I knew they were imperfect before I started loving them. I, I still love them. 
And now I know they're just imperfect in ways I did not know before. All of us are imperfect. God help us to love people from a place of strength. It is the will of God. It is the calling of God. And you as a person of faith, you need to make a commitment and say, I am committed. I am dedicated to investing myself in the kingdom of God. It's not my duty to judge how much I have to give. It is, however, my duty uh, to um, in some way uh, take whatever I've been given and invested in the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, you can do it. Anybody, I turn your mics back on. If anybody wants to uh, uh, speak a question or if you want to type in a question, I'm going to start with this first question we have here. Thank you, uh, Pastor Anthony. How do we keep a healthy uh, balance of resting and working when we invest ourselves into the work of God? Okay, I'm going to give you a metaphor and um, it is sometimes difficult to apply in the literal because all metaphors are imperfect. But I like to say it like this. All ministry happens in the overflow of your spiritual condition. If you give out more than you replace, you will begin to lose your joy. As you lose your joy, it turns into duty and obligation. That's step one. <laughs> then it steps into resentment. Then it ends up in self-harm. And pretty soon you're not just helping to help, you're not struggling to help other people in their faith. You're struggling to keep your own faith. Um, and so in prayer, in your daily devotion, you have to take your own temperature spiritually. And um, the warning sign for me, and I'll just be honest, uh, transparent, this may backfire on me. Some Sundays, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to see anybody. I want to hide. Now, I know none of you guys think that about me. You think that I walk with my feet just not even touching the ground. Hallelujah. But I, I want to tell you, a warning sign for me is when I'm on my way to the church and I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to be there. I am my, I'm imbalanced. I'm giving more that I'm putting in. And that's a warning sign for me that I have to, I usually can't do it that day, but I have to spend some time soon to refill myself. And for me, that's usually some version of quiet spiritual time. Now, some of you are refreshed by connecting with other believers. That's how you connect. And that's a good thing. Um, we need people like that. You're an extrovert you refill by connecting with others. And some of you are like me, you're an introvert. You need to get quiet time. You need to create space for reflection uh, in your life and turn on your worship music and sit there and let your mind uh, consider the beauty of the Lord, which is what I try to do when I'm reflecting. Um, uh, however that is for you, find your warning signs. And if you don't know what they are, pray about it. Pray about it. However, if you are currently in a mission uh, or in a service area, if you are in a uh, some uh, volunteering status, if you're on one of the teams and you are finding yourself at resentment, don't wait until you lose your temper to find to strive for a healthier way. Um, and don't be afraid to be honest with your leadership. You don't have to don't. In other words, let me don't let the first time you let your leadership know you're struggling be the day you resign. That's bad personal management and ministry stewardship. Don't just show up and resign everything. That is that's hard on the church. It's hard on every everybody else. Don't do that. 
judge the dread on your way to work and judge the uh, health of your your giving. Um, and before it happens, before it happens, <laughs> um, when you fill it there, find a, a strong mentor. Go to the go to that ministry leader. Say, I'm really struggling with with my emotions um, in this situation. I'm, I'm looking for a healthier place. Do you have any words of advice for me? I promise you, if you don't ask, you won't get an answer. But if you'll ask, I promise you, the Lord will help you. Um, Pastor Don, investing in anything prompts us to look for the return on investment. Of course, this is the natural response. I find that if we look for testimonies and examples that shows up, how God produces a great return on investment in people, it will build you up. Yes, this is a, a Thanksgiving principle. Um, and as we celebrate gratitude and as we testify, um, so if you look at that scripture um, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you read that in another translation, it says this, when people cannot see what God is doing, they fall all over themselves. Let me say that again. When people cannot see what God is doing, they fall all over themselves. I love that translation. And I believe it. So we have to celebrate uh, the goodness of God. We have to celebrate the wins. But I want to add one caveat to that. One caveat that I'm glad you mentioned it this way that I want to, I want to caution everyone on. Um, and that is, you are often not a good judge of what God is doing, and you will assume God is doing nothing. You will see no return on your effort because you, his ways are above your ways, and you allow yourself to get discouraged because you cannot see the return on your effort. I want to caution against that 100%. You probably are not a very good judge of the difference you are making. And uh, so the Bible teaches us to cast our bread on the water, not to calculate, not to figure, um, but to believe that it will come back after many days. I, I, I want to live that way. And so that's a great intro into that, that reminder. Um, when you make a commitment to something, let me, let me, I'll give you a moment more for any other questions, but um, I, 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 one more thing. When you make any commitment toward anything, pick a period of time and commit to that time. Do not make, leave it open-ended. I'll tell you why. This is something that our pastoral team has learned the hard way. The first time you try something, you don't know what you're doing, so you do worse than you actually could do. You're new at it. Everybody crawls before they walk. In that moment, you're not a very good judge on what it'll be. You feel like you're failing. And if you quit, the first time you run into some trouble or you disappoint yourself, you won't get very far. Make a commitment for a time. That's one of the great things about the semester system in small groups. You commit for a time. Um, you make that commitment. So now you're not emotional. It may be great. It may be terrible. But I'm doing it for six weeks. Do you see what I'm saying? It may, it may be awesome. It may flop. I'm doing it for six weeks. That'll give you time to learn. Even if you kind of have some hiccups at the beginning, um, you get a... A, a real ministry effort started. Now, as soon as you start working, you'll start learning. 
as you start learning, you'll get a virtuous cycle. The next one will be a little better. You learn, the next one will be a little better. You get a flywheel effect if you will start learning. And so if you have a dream of some elaborate project, don't stop. Don't start with all the points of it. Pick the one piece of it you think you can do good and start with that. You'll learn something. Now you add what you've learned plus something you need to learn. You're getting this positive flywheel going. But I want to, in closing, I want to uh, emphasize this um, 100%. I want to make it as strong as I can make it. I'm trying to convince you that you're more effective than you think you are. I'm trying to convince you that tonight you can make a decision about one thing in your life and it wouldn't feel like anything for the first 30 days except self-discipline, but you could change everything. It may feel like for a little while that it's just stuff, but I promise you, it could change everything. In this moment, it's just a decision. I'm never going to go to sleep without praying for somebody. I'm never going to close my eyes without praying for somebody. It's a small decision. It feels like self-discipline right now. It could change the rest of the arc of your life. I'm never going to allow myself to hear of a serious need in my life where I don't tell them I'm praying for them and I don't make a note to myself to check back with them in a week to ask them how they're doing and tell them I've been praying for them. In this moment, it just feels like a, it feels like a small thing. You could change everything. You could be on the cusp of a whole new ministry opportunity in your life simply, simply by a small decision right now. But this is what I want to challenge you all. Do not accept a future where you are religiously doing nothing, spiritually checked out. Don't wait until you've prayed an hour to say you're going to pray for somebody. Start now. Whether or not you're where you should be or who you ought to be, God still chose you to represent him. God still invested in you to represent him. And so if you're waiting for perfect, there will be no salvation for anybody. There will be no encouragement for anybody. There'll be no difference made for anybody. Stop waiting for perfect and start saying, you know, I'm just going to put my shoulder to the wheel. I want to find what my personality is. What's something I can do? What's something I can say? What's a difference I can make right now? Because there is no acceptable future where I am not investing myself in the kingdom of God. If you do that, you will never lack for a testimony. You will never lack for your family seeing that you're more than a label. You'll never lack for your children failing to perceive that you took this thing we call church seriously because you invested yourself in the work. All right, we're at time. Let's let's pray together and then um, I will I will let you all, I will let you get back to your, your uh, previously scheduled evening. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence that I have felt in this world. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your strength that I have felt. I thank you for the encouragement that I have felt, the, the, the commitment that can happen, the change that can happen in a moment where someone begins to say, there is no acceptable future where I am not investing myself in the kingdom of God. 
There is no acceptable future where I am not serving somebody, giving of myself, praying for somebody. I refuse it. I refuse it. I will, however imperfectly I find myself, however, I will always reach for what I need through giving it to other people. When I need encouragement, I'm going to give encouragement away. I will have only by giving. I will not be a dead sea where the blessings of God flow and die. I will always be a river that flows through a desert and the life is going to other people. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say to all of you that I believe our church is having several doors that are opening up to us. There's been some interesting ministry opportunities that have opened to us. I have no idea where it will go, but I'm excited about it. I, the Lord is putting, bringing different people with different skill sets together. I think the church is entering into a new stage of productivity relative to the harvest field. I love to sit at the table. But I also love to look in the field and see my family, my brothers, my sisters, my friends in the field working together the harvest Jesus died for, waving at each other, celebrating, rejoicing, gathering back to the table, going back out. That's enough. I love you. God bless you. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Let's come back together Sunday with expectation. And that's enough for this evening. God bless you. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.